0: All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the next episode of First Generation. I'm excited to interview a number of first generation and immigrant entrepreneurs. I have uh, Guillermo Rauch from Vercel, um, which is actually one of my favorite uh, development platforms in the world today. Vercel is basically leveraging the Jamstack, Jamstack plus Next.js, has raised over $100 million from a number of the top venture capitalists out there. I'm disappointed I'm not an investor. That's bad on my part, but um, have used the product. I even remember when it was called Zite and uh, very excited about what you're building. So maybe, Guillermo, if you could give us uh, a little bit about yourself and background and and what you're doing at Vercel, and then we can talk about your story. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, By training, uh, and I'm completely self-taught, but by training as an engineer, I'm a front-end engineer. And I've always been super passionate about the web. And one of the things that I always gravitated toward was building tools that made developers really productive when working on web-based projects. I was also been a huge fan of open source. So Vercel is kind of the intersection of all these interests and that DNA because it's a platform that empowers front-end teams to publish incredible projects for their users. So the developer experience is a priority, but also that when you ship, the product that you're shipping is great for your end users as well. So we created Next.js, which is an open source framework. You can also think of it as the sort of web SDK. It's how you get started working on any website, any web application. And we're proposing that you start always focusing with your end user uh, at heart. So you start focusing on the customer experience first. You build out the front end and then you bring your data from anywhere in the world. You can bring your data from a headless CMS like Contentful. You can bring your data from a headless e commerce like Shopify or Big Commerce. And or maybe not date at all. You just build everything completely statically. So, kind of a broad spectrum of web projects that you can create on our platform. And I'm originally from Argentina. So, I came to the US uh, right after I didn't finish high school. So right about when I was like 17, 18,
0: started coming to the US <laughs> and um, uh, I now live in San Francisco. Uh, that, that's awesome. Um, and so uh, congrats on all the amazing customers like Chipotle and Facebook and some incredible customers you've got. So this is truly amazing. Um, would love to sort of understand your your background uh, growing up in Argentina and what it was like there. I, we spoke with Gagan in the last episode, and he was talking about just the contrast between India and where his parents grew up and the United States. I'd love to know if there's a similar contrast in what life was like in Argentina, um, and also where in Argentina you're, you're originally from.
1: Yeah, this this is something I don't think I've ever shared, but I grew up in the outskirts of Buenos Aires. And when you think about Argentina, you think of Buenos Aires for the most part uh, because internationally it's a city with the most reputation but it's both a city and a province it's like New York State and New York City and everyone thinks about New York City, not Rochester when they say New York. Everyone <laughs> thinks about the city of Buenos Aires not the outskirts or like the larger province that surrounds it And uh, but I grew, I grew up there I grew up outside of the city and that was not a great place it was not the safest place um to to grow up in so the contrast of where i'm at now and where i grew up is is really pretty significant my parents were uh i would say like middle class when they were having good time but like mid low class when they were not having good time and the economy in argentina is very unstable so we'd have years where you know like it felt like a privilege to like buy uh, soda for example and we had years where you know my dad would be, like buy a computer uh, <laughs> because he was like oh like we can do this cool thing we can learn more about technology he was always all about learning about technology and and that's where my interest really started because he was all about how, what gadget can we buy such that our kids can do stuff with technology
0: Amazing. Yeah, that's similar to my dad used to take me to Fry's Electronics every weekend. I mean, slightly different, but I, I hear you. And and so that's how you got interested in technology originally is is your your dad and his interest in gadgets, et cetera.
1: Yeah, um, for example, we would buy a computer. We had to make sure that no one in the neighborhood knew that we had a computer because we, we could get robbed. Wow! Or uh, one time, actually we, uh, we upgraded our car. We used to have a really, really old car. And then we were always like sort of super paranoid that, okay, now we have a new car and we have this uh, mechanism that when he would come home, um, we'd have to make sure to get, get the car in really, really fast. Otherwise we could get robbed. In, in fact, my dad one time got kidnapped and his car got robbed. So, it was that conscious of like, we're in an environment that is super unsafe, but wow. inside the house, like things were really good. My dad would bring technology to the house. My mom, Both my parents are engineers, chemical engineer and industrial engineer. So I had a really good childhood. I had all this amazing access at the same time, even though sometimes it was scary. But, uh, you know, it really all started with, we started with Windows, Windows 95, and we kind of started learning about um, can we get, you know, w- what can we do with a computer? Like, what can we do other than like get programs with CD-ROMs and run them? Can we possibly, you know, install a better operating system, or can we learn how to create programs? My dad was sort of always thinking that way. So the biggest breakthrough with me for me was when we installed Linux on the computer. Um, I remember my dad got this magazine. Um and it came with a version of Linux. It came with, like, the free CD-ROM attached to the magazine. Wow. the challenge was, like, hey, can you, can you, make sh- can you install Linux? Can you uh, get it all to boot into Linux, right? Like, this is... I remember then, like, the live live distros came to market. Like, it was really easy to, like, just get Linux inside of uh, whatever uh, your computer was at the time. But it was a significant challenge for me, and I was, like, I think, like, 10, 10 11 years old. When I first started getting interested in this, got Linux to work, and then that kind of really kickstarted my programming career because Linux felt like a programmer-native environment. Just even the first week I got Linux installed, I was like,
0: okay, this is a different beast. Wow, that's, that's incredible. I mean it's uh it, i remember those days i mean you it was it was definitely the the beginnings of technology and so maybe walk me through the internet like like the internet coming to argentina and what how, what impact it had on you and when because you know you talk about computers but the, the internet is obviously the forcing function for a lot of things like Vercel and, and other platforms that have emerged what was that like and how did you get access to the internet yeah,
1: the the internet was the absolute critical piece here to kind of enable me to like travel without leaving my home, so to speak, right? Because uh, getting information was the first obstacle. I mentioned that I had a Linux CD and a printed magazine in Spanish trying <laughs> to walk you through installing this thing in the 1990s where, you know, very few people were using Linux in the, on the desktop to begin with. And the, Linux on the desktop is still not very much used today, but like back in the day, Um, You know, uh, before the meme of this is a year of the Linux desktop, we're talking about like even 10 years before that. So um, we got internet through dial-up first uh, because the ISPs started to sort of emerge organically. And I think it was Telefonica that offered, oh, like you already have a phone line transmit the internet over the phone line and then like the the famous like anyone picks up the phone in the house and like they listen to the internet uh when 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 you pick up your phone it was extremely slow but uh it worked like it it sparked that holy shit i can like now uh go everywhere i'm i've already left argentina mentally at this point right and and, um i started picking up english because of this right so like any tutorial that I would read, anything I wanted to do that was not standard with a computer. So I kind of had this, I I think I I have this proclivity to having like this hacker mindset of how can I break this? How can I reverse engineer this? One of the actually, one of the first things that helped me a lot was there was this uh, hacking
0: game online
1: that would give you all these challenges for getting onto the next step. It was like a game like almost like a role-playing game meets hacking and you had to like solve the riddle and get onto the next step it was fantastic so like the first riddle was get to the next step like a page that says that and to solve it you had to like view source and then in an html comment it said the next step is slash two point html dash secret or something like that so that that little obfuscated URL was like how you got from step one to step two. But then it would get really hard. I remember the last one of the last steps was uh, they give you a binary. And you run it locally, and it says wow. insert password and nothing else. So you had to reverse engineer the program. Wow. Go through, like, all the syscalls that it makes. Try to, like, find strings encoded within the binary, which were obfuscated to try to get it a password plug in a debugger and like try to get to the next step and jump to the final instruction that reveals the answer and gets you into the next step. So that, that's the kind of thing that the internet opened uh, <laughs> me to uh, other things like relationships. Like it started hanging out, hanging out a lot in IRC and I met people that had common interests as myself, like Linux, for example. So the internet was yeah, that proxy to community. Like obviously it had very strange interests for my age. Like I wasn't going to play soccer, like all my friends in Argentina. Although I did I did like it a lot and I love sports, but I didn't take that route of like like doing the, you know, I, I would just stay home. I, I mean, I'm just just describing being a nerd, but I had all these nerds online that I met through forums and IRC that I would spend a lot of time with. And I learned a lot of amazing things from.
0: Fantastic. I mean, it's, it, it shows that it, it's amazing how, your upbringing and your exposure to technology and the internet sort of yielded a developer tools path for yourself. And that was sort of like your destiny as a result of starting out from that environment. Um, yeah. Because
1: yeah. Uh, one, one of the things that I was obsessed with was, okay, how do I get from nothing to a working program? And one of the things that I started getting excited about was like PHP yeah. and things like that were like, Oh, here's a starting point. You can, you can, Clone an existing template that exists, and the developer experience is really smooth. Like PHP was incredible; like you change a file, refresh the browser, and like the change is there. So I remember when I got into the Linux game, my first few months were spent figuring out C and the sort of you know write program, pass it through the compiler. Execute the resulting binary, like painful debugging cycles. And then it discovered the web. And it discovered that the web could enable this way better developer experiences and that the output of those developer experiences weren't downloadable software. They were hyperlinks. And now looking back, I would see that the hyperlink would provide a lot of that nexus to the open world because I started developing my resume as a developer. Like everyone could come to my... Uh, software and visited, I remember when it got featured by Dion Almer of Ajaxian.com, I, there's an article probably you can still find. It's like this 16-year-old hacker created this awesome um, animated menu with JavaScript, which at the time was really hard to do because the front end toolkits uh, for animation in JavaScript were virtually non-existent. And uh, again, like I was just still in, in my home in Argentina, but kind of traveling the world through these hyperlinks.
0: Yeah, I actually think that the hyperlink and also PHP as sort of like after Perl and CGI became a light year advancement when it came to web development. And then the next one that I sort of think is is probably Ajax, which was sort of a bastardized implementation in IE (laughs) 5.5, where you had to like... Have a conditional if the browser was Mozilla based or IE based, <laughs> which I thought was just hilarious yeah. back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and now you know we we sort of take these things for granted because they're they're just part of how we use the internet, especially with with mobile devices. And so so yeah, so th- this is this is fascinating. so, so t- tell me a little bit about how you came to the United States, why you chose to come to San Francisco and and it was, whereas Vercel started, started in Argentina and then you moved here. What was your choice uh, and why the US?
1: Yeah, I always think it chose me. I didn't choose it because it's it's a funny story. So like, I was part of the Mood Tools. uh, This is the library I was talking about that it was allowing you to do animation, Ajax, real time. I was part of that team. I got to meet a lot of the folks that then went on to be hired by Facebook to work on FBJS and all the internal component systems of Facebook for front end, uh, engineering. And they tried to hire at the time. And I remember that the hiring, uh, you know, meeting ended with, Oh, sorry, we didn't realize a, you're underage, uh, under 18 and B you live in Argentina. We're just hiring, you know, uh, college grads in Menlo park. So like the, 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 conversation ended there but it was the, that first hint in my mind now looking back of like oh wow like even from just what I know I can get a job at an exciting place they didn't know much about San Francisco at the time but keep in mind I'm still in high school I was going to a really good high school in Argentina that uh, is public high school that has an entry exam it's very competitive very awesome content uh, from uh, professors that typically teach at university but then kind of wanted to run experiments with uh, high school. So they they stopped teaching at university, come to teach at high schools. So I was having a good time, but I started getting pulled into this world of, I'm not only a developer that's doing hobby stuff, I'm also working with this global network of collaborators, uh, a lot of it because of open source. So a company in Switzerland picked MooTools. As they were building blocks wow. for uh-huh. building their front end, and they were like, "Oh, okay, we need experts in Moot tools." Two of the folks that were um, uh, on the official contributors list on the on the website I don't know, two had gone to facebook uh, the other one was in the process of getting hired Facebook. The other one was at Cloudera, uh, the the data company the uh, a couple others were freelancers and not available, and then it was just me. At the time, I was 17. So, like, who do we have? We have no one, and we have this 17-year-old guy <laughs> in, in Argentina. So, they were like, okay, like, this technology is so disruptive. It's enabling our core product offering, and uh, let's just hire him. So, I uh, had to get a written note from my parents to be able to fly before I was 18. Um, and and um, I ended up going to Switzerland, and then they opened an office. Wow. In San Francisco. So when I got presented with the option of do I move to Switzerland or do I move to San Francisco, I started to notice the sort of entrepreneurial spirit here was so powerful and so compelling to me that I could have done that job anywhere. But I felt, okay if I'm going to do that job and also try to do my own thing in the future and expand my network this,
0: this place was just the absolute best in the world. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 that's, that's great to hear. Can you contrast like what it was like in Switzerland versus the United States? Did you feel more accepted here versus there? Uh, and, and do you still feel like it is the best place to come for, for an immigrant?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there, there's always perception and there's always sort of uh, biases that one has because m- my mom, as a chemical engineer, she loved all the technology products from the U S uh, that related to instrumentation. Course. Yeah. So it's so funny because like, that was the things that she would sell. And nowadays I'm also obsessed with instrumentation, but for software instead of for, you know, uh, right. uh plant, uh, plants that process paper or oil, oil refineries and whatnot, um, so there is a certain there was a certain bias in my head around the U.S. is number one place in the world in the competitive landscape of technology and industry. So I'll I'll clarify that. Right. But again, when I had the opportunity, and keep in mind my sample size is two, I was really young, but I, I was just very impressed with the flexibility and acceptance here, and the diversity of the population as well. Like. I, I could just meet lots of different people here, which is amazing to me at the time. The pace, everything, just felt faster and more automated. I actually wrote a little article about this because at one point I was reading uh, Einstein's like writings on America, and I remember thinking, like, well, it's the same exact thing I experienced now, only like fifty years ago or sixty, seventy years ago, which is the concept of efficiency. And yeah. in his writing, he talks about like. Because America emerges this like super big country uh, with scattered populations, they had to design and optimize everything with those hard constraints. It's almost like creating a distributed system and and naturally there's a distributed system <laughs> from the Federation of States and whatnot. And I, 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 I yeah. had that impression very vividly when I, when I contrasted Europe and America's so where I would live where I know everything just felt convenient here. And what I, my article is called, uh, it's hard to th- forego efficiency. Like once you've uh, inserted yourself in a more efficient system, it's nearly impossible to regress. Like, oh, like now now I can pay, I can open a bank account in 10 minutes. Or I can order from Postmates a my favorite burrito. I know. How do you yeah. go back to, well, to have Postmates in Argentina, where you have to wait until...
0: The union
1: of this or that uh, makes a deal with corrupt politicians to do this or that. So, and, and things change and, and, you know, like I'm not going to, you know, uh, say Argentina cannot fix a lot of those corruption issues, but the reality is that just everything here was more streamlined and, and uh, innovation and entrepreneurship were celebrated rather than what I grew up with, which is that. The icon of an entrepreneur in Argentina was a super controversial thing that was usually attached to the notion that an entrepreneur got there by having screwed over somebody else. Whereas uh, here, it was like, oh, no, the entrepreneur is the person you follow because you have an inspiring vision of the future wow. and you work for them and with them because you're attracted by that vision. And I think culturally, that sophistication of what it means to be an entrepreneur and what the function and the role of that is in society is just way more developed here, uh, and that probably takes generations to develop, I think. So I would have to be very, very patient in Argentina for but but again, like things now with remote work and and, and, and new technologies are are changing, so I'm still super optimistic about
0: Argentina as well. Yeah, I mean, globally, I think things are getting better in terms of because of technology, and and it's interesting that contrast between zero sum versus grow the whole pie is a, is a big difference. And and I grew up here, and that was always the view of the West Coast end of Silicon Valley, which was we can grow the pie together. We don't always have, someone doesn't have to lose for other people to win. And I I worry that there are extremes in the United States. Now, one of the reasons I'm doing this or the main reason I'm doing this show is because I'm frustrated with the way the country (laughs) is trending. Right. Is that we have one side that's very extreme, that wants to regress and doesn't want to welcome technologists like yourself or entrepreneurs like yourself into the country. And then the other side that wants to let everyone in, but then tax everyone aggressively so that there's little incentive to innovate. Um, and I just wonder, you know, what, do you feel like we're headed on a bad path? What are sort of the things that we should be doing as a country to to fix that? So
1: one thing that I feel very confident about is that on a year to year basis, I think you're not going to be able to undo what has been framed so well by the Constitution and by the generations of cultural development and that's the issue with yeah. Argentina. i think there's so many well-meaning people so many amazing entrepreneurs but they're fighting a beast that needs to be unfolded and developed over decades if not centuries so i take a very long-term outlook and i always think that the framing of the system determines a lot of the outcomes rather yeah. than the day-to-day because i think what's interesting about designing a constitution or a country is that you almost have to think adversarially about all the bugs and like, uh, like how can this system be abused? And like, what (laughs) if I can pass a bill that completely undoes everything that we're like trying to do when we created this, this system. So I'm still very optimistic that that'll not get undone, but I think on a day-to-day basis, the fight is always unfolding between Basically, almost like, I always think of it as a reductionist of like yin and yang. There's always like a push for like, do we grow and do better versus do we uh, undo and do less? <laughs> or, um, yeah, kind of what you talked about earlier, like, are we going to grow and be optimistic about the future or are we going to uh, be pessimistic and try to stop everything? So I think th- there's there's things that can happen on, on that day-to-day basis yeah. that prevent some entrepreneurs from succeeding. I think you have to tackle those early on and you have to continue to put up the – it's almost like you have to continue to make the case for this. Basically, what are doing with this podcast is a necessary component of it. Um, but I think it does happen naturally. <laughs> I think overall, it's never been the case that 99% of the population have been in agreement over – a certain direction from a four year presidency to the next four year presidency to the next. It's more about like, what is the system going to output over
0: decades or generations? Yeah. You have to take a much longer view. And, and I, I completely agree. I mean, I'm optimistic as well because people like yourself are still coming to the United States to build their future. And, and there are a lot there are a lot of things that are happening in the rest of the world that do not suggest that they will um, cut into our, our edge that we have in America. And um, I, I hope. That, yeah, because
1: yes. I'll give you an example for myself. So, like, it was really hard for me to get a visa. So think about it. Right. Like, I didn't finish high school. Um, I have no I had no credential. I had to build all my credentials. Uh, I had to, like, speak at conferences. I wrote a book. Yeah. Uh, I had to basically like do all the things that would <laughs> m- allow me to make the case for the O one visa. Uh, and then eventually got the um, uh, green card national interest waiver. And now I'm applying for citizenship. So it's, it's, it's actually not even complete yet. Like it's been like a 12 year project or something,
0: but this, despite... which is incredible, which is inc- that That's ridiculous. Yeah, that exactly. should not happen. Well, I mean, it, think about the... how many other people like you, they're stuck out there you know but despite all the challenges people keep choosing it
1: so there has to be something that is because ultimately it's a market right a lot of other countries are offering you all kinds of um, uh compelling like citizenship and immigration offerings so to speak and yet i mean obviously i'm a liar or i'm outdated and like i no one wants to do this anymore but I, i i happen to think that a lot of folks will still go through this uh motions because there's so much value At the end of it But what you're, what you're saying earlier is right Because like you have to understand What that value at the end of it was And you have to maintain it Otherwise the whole incentive The whole chain of incentives Gets destroyed um, So I, I like the idea Of, of thinking about um, Protecting that Yeah
0: Yeah absolutely I mean it's it's good to hear you say that, that it's still desired. And and maybe, so what are your parents up to now? Have they come to the United States too? And and what is life like in Argentina today? I know that it was tough growing up, but it, is it still sort of in the same situation? I think that people would love to know the contrast between the U.S. and, and Argentina, even today.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so one thing to keep in mind about Argentina is that what we consume online and what we consume when you turn on a TV and like we watch Netflix, folks are consuming American culture on a regular basis. Oh, uh, they, it's a good they point. They go to Instagram, yeah. they go to TikTok, they uh, uh, drink their coffee at Starbucks. They, so I actually tweeted about this recently. I think they're, everyone exports culture. Every company, every country, every city exports culture. And that also is the market. Like if I'm growing up in Argentina, am I turning on my TV to watch France or am I turning it on to watch a Russian soap opera? So what, this is the bias also <laughs> I have. And what, what happens in a lot of Latin American countries and, and even European countries is that, no, you turn on to watch France and you listen to, I don't know, uh, I, my brother used to listen to Green Day and uh, I used to re- listen to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who actually have a song about this. Like, we sell Californication. I was actually watching the Apple keynote the other day. I was like, not a huge fan of the f 13, but this is the best ad for California that's ever been produced. Like, just like, oh, beautiful uh, shot. From the
0: beginning to the end. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. It's like,
1: even <laughs> if you live here, you're like so thankful that this exists and you happen and you get to live here. So I think, First of all, like there is that. Like if we're exporting that and people are buying it because they love it, and it's not even just the beautiful views, it's the values, is the music, is the ideas. And again, it's also the who are the heroes and who are the enemies of society, so to speak, right? Like uh not to overuse the Apple references, but uh the think different, you know, commercial was about like these are our heroes. Uh, and uh, this is the people that we uplift. I think countries also do that, right? And so, what ends up happening in practice is a lot of folks um, want are, are already thinking in those terms and gravitating towards societies that they like, even bef- years and years and years before they even have an idea about moving to those places.
0: Totally. I mean, it, it, it's so it's so true. I mean, the ad. I was more interested in the beginning intro and the views of the state and all that. I thought it was very well done, <laughs> and it made you want to just, oh, yeah, I'm in, I'm staying in California in spite of all of the the negativity that's happening in in San Francisco politics and even California politics. I feel like it's just a <laughs> yeah, it's it's really tough to see how new businesses get built here, but then you look at those views and the ecosystem, and you say, okay, I, I sort of understand what I'm paying for for the time being and 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 also it make it inspires you to want to build build a company or or to be part of the community that is here. Um yeah, so so I mean that that was a great overview and it makes me feel excited and optimistic also, which is something that I'm trying to do with this show is that we need to show that there are positives in our current situation in spite of the pandemic and all the negativity around us. Um, You know, I think the last question I sort of have, and and this has been fantastic, especially to hear your story and that you still want to be a citizen and that you still are optimistic about the U.S. Do you I always ask this hokey question at the end and I plan on asking everyone is that do you think that the that America is the best country in the world? Do you think that we're on a path to maintain that or do you think we're headed in the wrong direction? Are we backsliding? And what can young people do to engage more, to make sure we maintain our position as the best place for immigrants, the best place for top talent? Yeah, for me, it's
1: the city upon a hill. You know, it doesn't have to be the best in the form of, well, everyone in the world has to move here. Because obviously there are people with different tastes and folks love the places where they grew up and their cultures and whatever. But what I do think, and it still maintains, is that it is, in my mind, the icon of freedom and innovation so i don't get inspired by listening about listening uh, uh, about how other countries are approaching uh, internet censorship for example or access to the internet or even um, access to having different ideas because like on a day-to-day it can be frustrating to like hear you know dozens of things that you disagree with but i love the fact that you can still disagree with people here you can still protest you can you can do all those things and my take is as long as the values that make the country productive and special are maintained then the database can appear to be um shaky and confusing and uh even unstable right like what happens with the us is that everything gets magnified by the global public eye. Any presidential election here is the most important presidential election in the world automatically. And everyone has an opinion on it. I like that. I think, again, if this is the city up on the hill, then um, everyone has to have an opinion. Everyone has to be free to voice it. Everyone has to be free to come in and come out. Yeah. Uh, What I do notice, and Warren Buffett has said this, is that the interest continues to be in coming in and I've never met, met a person that wants to come out. Actually, the only, right, the only right. I think the only people that I've met, even because I've traveled the entire world, are people that are in the trouble with the law, like they missed a tax payment <laughs> and they can't come back. And actually, those people are the ones that really want to come back the most because now they out of like, oh, I should pay that tax bill. Shouldn't have gotten in trouble, or you know, I, 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 I should figure out a way of of fixing this. Um, so. That's kind of how you instrument this problem, too, ultimately. Uh, I think someone tweeted the other day that when I think it was the WEF that ran this survey for what are the most attractive countries for immigration, according to like a broad survey, number one was the US, number two was Germany, but the US is 3.5 times more attractive.
0: Right. So, of course, of course. So, in and, and Germany, yeah. you have You have some cities that are very open, well, namely one city that's very open to immigration, probably Berlin, and then outside of that, not so open to immigration.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the other thing is that the cultural export has come with the language export, which I think is something to really think about, right? Especially when you think about geopolitics and like China and the US and things like that. There is a monopoly on English currently, a virtual monopoly. Of course, like you can, you can go and speak any language you want. But learning English, because I always remember, like my mom had this perspective of like, it seems to me that this was her intuition. It seems to me that even if you just learn English, you're already head in Argentina because like there's always someone that will have to interface with. And her perspective was, right. like, this was a little company in Argentina that imported. Um, this instrumentation devices for industry from the US. Uh, I, I think the company was Emerson Process Management. And the people within the company that could talk to support in the US or talk to the sales people in the US or like talk to business development in the US naturally had an advantage. So there's sort of this economics of learning English is this self fulfilling prophecy of development within external countries. And I think that's what a lot of folk, a lot of other countries are missing. Is yeah. that maybe not enough English penetration, or there's a, still a sense of like our language is still what you should be talking and what you should be learning. Whereas here, it's just like it feels home to everyone in the world because everyone has already been
0: primed to learn English. Right. No, I mean it's it's also it makes it very tough for any other country to sort of take that position. Um, as the as the most welcoming and and it, it is really the only place where you can feel at home. Um, I, I yeah. yeah, it's like an open API. It's an it's open, an open API, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, anyway, Guillermo, this has been super helpful. Uh, really appreciate the time, and I love your optimism. It makes me feel great. I'm excited to go into the weekend now. I'm talking to another founder uh, that feels that things are on the upswing for us uh, in, in the in the in the United States. So. Um, really appreciate the time, everyone. Guillermo Rauch, the founder of Vercel. Um, if you have any, uh, last comments, Guillermo would love to hear it or any advice you have for entrepreneurs out there that are, uh, building their, their dreams either here or abroad.
1: Uh, thanks for doing this. And, um, if anyone wants to stay in touch, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at RouchG. R u c h g. R-E-S-H-G, and, uh, I would love to hear folks' comments and, and experiences and ideas.